Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast, where your host, Jude Pierre, MD, also known as Coach JPMD, discusses medical practice topics that will guide you through the maze that is the business of medicine and teach you how to increase profits and help populations live long. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to listen and be transformed. Now, here's your host, Coach JPMD. Thank you for listening to the Practice Impossible Podcast with your host, Coach JPMD. That's me. I hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday week last week, and I know that uh, I did, and I took some time off as well, do some home purging, and that's going well. So before we head into this episode, I wanted to remind you, uh, my listeners, that uh, I, uh, I show physicians how to go from feeling overwhelmed about the practice and the business of medicine uh, to confident while increasing their income in less than 90 days. If you're interested, click on the Calendly link at the bottom of this page or at the show notes and uh, set up a call and you can learn more. So today's episode is a fun episode. It's uh, one where I interview Dr. Jude Pierre. And no, I'm not interviewing myself. I'm actually interviewing Dr. Jude Farley Pierre, who is a podiatrist and has, has really become, I shouldn't say become, he is a brother from another mother. And he discusses family, uh, overcoming stress, and his podiatry practice. And it's an honor to have him on the Practice Impossible podcast. And so it's actually fun that we're going to be able to memorialize our friendship through this conversation. And I know that you guys are, and gals are going to really enjoy this conversation. So here we go. So we're here with Jude Pierre. <laughs> it's just funny saying that. And it's uh, su- it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, the Practice Impossible podcast, Jude Farley Pierre. <laughs> and a pleasure. So today we're going to talk about specialists. Uh, you're a specialist in, in medicine and uh, you're a podiatrist in uh, the Spring Hill area. And, you know, before we even get into the, the practicing, we have to just clear the air out with the origin story, our origin story and how we met. And I don't know if you want me to start or you want to start. Go for it. I'll just interject. (laughs) So I met Jude, what, in 2002? I had just uh, moved to Spring Hill. I probably about four or five months into Spring Hill. Same here. And I got a phone call from my team member and she was like, "Uh, Dr. Pierre, there's a Jude Pierre on the phone and he says he wants to speak to you. I'm like, what is this? Come on. What do you mean Jude Pierre? No, he says, this is Dr. Jude Pierre wants to speak to you. So I I, I said, okay, whatever. I get on the phone and you tell me, well, I just tried to apply for privileges at the hospital and they said, I have privileges. So tell me how that started. Like, what were you, you hadn't had privileges. And so you called, you called or you went to the hospital. How'd that, how'd that work? So I moved in, I think May, 2002. I started working with this podiatrist in Spring Hill. Of course, I was living in Palm Harbor. Uh-huh. So in the process of getting credentialed and getting on staff at some of the area hospitals, I don't know what happened, but somehow I don't remember applying for privileges at Oak Hill, but somehow they sent me a welcome package. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> why? Okay. And um, at the same time, there was an ad in the paper that said, welcome Dr. Jude Pierre to Spring Hill. I'm like, wow, this is really a small town coming from New York. Of course, I'm thinking, wow, I must be really in the breeze <laughs> because, man, you can't sneeze without someone saying, you know, Gesundheit. So I was like, okay, well, it must be a small town thing. Whatever, I'll go, I'll roll with it. So when I did go to the hospitals, 
I'm like, you know, you have a mistake here. I'm not an MD. I'm a DPM. They're like, but that's not what your application says. I'm like, what application? So needless to say, I found out there is another Jupiter <laughs> in the area. So I'm like, that's impossible. I mean, I'm from New York, from Brooklyn, where pretty much every Haitian person lives. And I come to like the most backwards corner <laughs> of Florida to find another Jude Pierre. That, that doesn't make At any the sense. Same, in the same hospital system too. Yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. So I'm like, no, there's no way. So I think, I can't remember who the person was, but they gave me the number and said, you need to call and <laughs> figure this out. So I said, all right. So I called the number and um, I was actually anxious because I'm thinking maybe it's a small mistake. Maybe it's a, just a one accent away, just something different. And, of course, the person who answered the phone said, you know, Dr. Drew Pierre's office. I'm like, huh? <laughs> it's so weird to call and have hearing your name being sent, sent back to you. So, I'm like, all right, well, I'd like to speak to the uh, to Dr. Pierre because, you know, I'm thinking this is it's got to be a joke. So, hey, I want to hear this from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And then that's where you picked up. <laughs> And then I think I told you, you need to come to the office. I yes. think I, I remember saying, I said, you need to come to the office. Absolutely. And I remember that conversation because she's like, no, we have to, I have to see who you are because we just started talking like, okay, where are you from? New York. I'm like, where? Okay. And then found out you're from Queens, uh, Laurelton area. Yeah. Yeah. I was born in Brooklyn. So you, you, Brooklyn. you were living in, you were living in Brooklyn. I was living and, in Brooklyn. And your parents moved to, to New York, I think around the same time that my parents moved to New York. Probably. From Haiti. And yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, let's see. You're, I, I think they're from different parts of Haiti, which was because mm-hmm. my dad's from up north. Ironically, he looks a lot more like your dad. <laughs> they look like they could be brothers. Uh, small stature, fair skin, balding. So that was kind of a, a shock. I remember at the end of the conversation, though, you said, All right, one more question. Is your wife named Christine? I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not married. So I was like, okay, good. Because I think even you were like, yeah, this must be a yeah, Twilight thought, Zone. Yeah, and I, I actually think I asked you for your license. I said, let me see your license. Yeah, I, I think believe so. It. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you said your dad's first name is my middle name. That's absolutely correct. So Antoine. Antoine. Yep. So you could have easily been a Jude Antoine, Antoine Pierre. Pierre. Absolutely. So in my infinite wisdom, you know, I said, you know what? You need to join us at Access because I, I was like, I have to say, it was selfish in my park. I was, I was like, we we can do the marketing blitz on this and oh, Jude yeah. Pierre and Jude Pierre, <laughs> podiatrist and internist on the same block. So you ended up moving your office or joining us yep. on the same street, actually right next door, two doors down from where my office yeah, was. Yeah, a year later, we were actually pretty much next door. I think you were five three six two, and I was five three seven four. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. yeah. It was great marketing. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was really just, good. it caused mass confusion and, and cross Even promotion. In the hospital, yeah. Oh, the yeah, hospital yeah. was the worst because I think there are times when you were on call and you had patients sitting in the hospital for at least three or four days before you even found out because they would admit oh, them under right. my name. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if we should admit that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but it worked out though. It worked out well. So actually, recently it, it's still happening. So yes. recently, I was I was being Judah in, in, in Creole. Judah is like nosy, and I, I listen to everything my staff is saying on the phones. And try to try to interject if I need to the way they speak to patients and stuff. But last week we had like a plethora of phone calls, and they kept saying, "No, this is the this is not the podiatrist's office. This is 
the internist office. I'm like, why they keep saying that? Why? So I do a Google search and I do a Google search on your name and my phone number pops up on your Google, <laughs> on your Google page. So I had to actually contact. And it's interesting because I tell in our course on the Llama course, I have a course on marketing that actually tells providers that they need to go on Google, make sure their stuff is updated because who knows what they're doing online. So it oh, can absolutely. cause a ma- mass confusion. So, so now you're in Spring Hill. It's been, you know, couple of years. And if we can, I want to kind of talk on, talk about some personal stuff Oh, for sure. before we get delve into the, the medical. Cause I think you went through some traumas initially just after I met you a couple of years after I met you with mm-hmm. um, your first son who was yeah. a preemie. Yeah. Yeah. Nemo. He was, he was born three months early. We were expecting him in November. And um, while we were vacationing in New York, he decided to make an appearance. <laughs> so, we ended up having to um, – actually, we ended up having to stay there for a few months and while I was working in, in Spring Hill. So, I was flying back and forth while he was in the hospital. I mean, they kept him wow. there for three months. That was uh, – whew, that was crazy. That was crazy. Yeah, I, I remember those times. I remember those times. Yeah, it was, pretty, uh, pretty it was rough. How did you cope with that? Oh, man. Let me tell you. It, it was hard because it was like first time – I mean, becoming a parent and, you know, there, there are no books, no instruction manuals and this stuff. So, and no one I know ever, ever went through that. So, it was really, it was mind boggling. Um, it was, I think I, I even went through some depression because it was just like, I didn't know. And not just what was happening in terms of him being born early, but also what the long-term consequences would be for someone born in that type of predicament. I mean, mm-hmm. with those type of disabilities from the beginning. Yeah. But I do remember having a conversation with a very good friend of mine <laughs> who actually said something that I kept for forever till this day. He said, nice and, you know, nothing crazy, nothing, hey, I'm sorry, nothing the, the typical things that people would come and tell you, you know, that, oh, I feel bad for you, oh, blah, blah, blah. But in the meantime, you know that don't wish that on themselves at all. So, this friend of mine just said, um, you know, one thing you should keep in mind is that God never gives you more than you can handle. Um, it was a quote from Job's and I was like, really? Wow. So, I kept that for forever. And honestly, that's that's how... I was able to deal with it. I just kept thinking to myself, okay, you're right. You know, God can't, is not giving me more than I can handle. So that means I should be able to handle this. So we just plugged, plugged away one day at a time. Uh, went through countless sessions of um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, <sighs> countless uh, appointments with the ophthalmologist. I mean, it was just crazy. <laughs> then see so- the light at the end of the tunnel, but. I just kept marching through because in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what? God is definitely not giving me more than I can handle. So, that means I definitely can handle this. So, I don't know. For those of you guys who may be wondering who this friend was, his name <laughs> is Jude Antoine Pierre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I never forgot that. That that's that stayed with me for forever. And every time I go through any type of adversity – I just kind of recall that conversation and it definitely does get me through a lot of things. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm sorry. No, it's okay. And, 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 see, and seeing Nemo, I mean, if I can say his name, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to sure. call him out now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
the guy is what two hundred pounds? Oh god, yeah, full <laughs> solid muscle, solid muscle, uh, thriving in college. Absolutely, and he, you know, he's a so he's a so beast. happy to see that. Absolutely, yeah. he's uh, he's he's far exceeded anything that the doctors and all the specialists even thought about him because. Oh, the scary part was when he was born to tell us, hey, you know what? There's a, you know, every day was a small victory. But they said, don't get excited because he may not be able to see. Oh, he may not be able to walk. Oh, he may not be able to hear. He may not be able to talk. I mean, every day was, okay, he passed the hearing test. Yay. You celebrate (laughs) for like just a few minutes and then you're on to the next one. And is he going to be able to see? Is he going to be able to walk? So, yeah. Seeing him That's now, awesome. it's just like amazing. Yeah. I mean, the kid's almost six feet tall, 200 pounds, plays football, soccer, solid muscle, yeah. smart as a whip, lazy, but smart. Oh, don't, so don't, you can't call him out like that. Come on, man. <laughs> right, I'm fine. sticking up for you, Nemo. He's not that lazy. <laughs> he's not that lazy. But hey, listen, you know what? You're right. He's not lazy. He plays instruments. He plays the cellos, classical cellist. He speaks three languages. So. He's, he's, he's always been a good kid, and he still is till this day, yeah. uh, having a, the, his best life in uh, at Florida State, and so we'll see what happens. Cool, and you got two more after that too. So, and God yeah, two with more. That, so. And honestly, again, I'm gonna have to uh, go back to this friend of mine who talked me into <laughs> having more kids, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. At the time, you know, we both had one kid, and if thought it was great, you know, and then all of a sudden he decided to have another kid. It's like, well, hey, listen, you need to have one too. I'm like, really? Is this how we're going to do this? <laughs> we're going to match pair for pair. So, yep, I end up having a beautiful daughter named Jael Pierre, who happens to be my good friend's goddaughter. <laughs> Obviously, it was only fitting because uh, he uh, played such a, an instrumental part in my life and getting me through a lot of uh, difficult times. So, yeah. it was but only you did fitting. the work, man. You did the work, so. Yeah, but sometimes it's good to have someone point out the road. You know, I mean, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, it's 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 good, it's good Good deal. So you're a podiatrist, so yes, and sir. I know there's and you had to explain to me that there's a difference between podiatry and podiatric surgeon. So you're going to have to explain to our audience for those who don't really know. So <laughs> is the schooling different, or what? What's what's difference between a podiatrist, podiatric surgeon, and or an orthopedic surgeon that does uh, foot surgery? Okay, so I'll right, start with the you know orthopedic surgeons. So orthopedic surgeons are basically uh, someone who went through a traditional allopathic school of medicine or an osteopathic school of medicine, and they specialize in orthopedic surgery. And they're able to work on different parts of the body, mostly involving bones. Some orthopedic surgeons specialize in backs, some specialize in hips, knees, some actually specialize in foot and ankle as well. Podiatrists, now, again, I'm going to be, you know, like dating myself, and I'm not that old, but still, when I went to podiatry school <laughs> way back when, there was a difference because, so you can go through podiatry school, which is a four-year program after you've had your um, bachelor's degree as a science, and then you go on to do a residency program. So back then, the residency program was somewhat varied, so there are some podiatrists who only did what's called a primary podiatric medicine residency, where they do mostly routine functions, diabetic, nail care, and so forth. There are those who did a 
podiatric orthopedic residency, and those involved mostly bracing, orthotics, and even mm-hmm. sports therapy. And a lot of them end up working with um, sports teams, uh, recommending shoes, orthotics, and so forth. And then there was the podiatric surgical residency. So now everyone could choose which one of those they would go into, and that would obviously determine where you end up and and what your practice basically consists of. So I did the latter, which was the podiatric surgical residency. Therefore, I became a podiatric surgeon as opposed to uh, my sisters who chose to do a podiatric primary medicine residency and therefore did not do much surgery. I mean, you can still do surgery, but you're not board certified. That's, That's what happens. So what did you see yourself doing after the pediatric surgeon surgical residency? Were you going to stay in New York? Were you going to travel? Were you were you actually looking to come down to Florida? Or what? well, no, actually that's a that's another funny story. So uh, I don't even know if I should admit this, but I, I was quite disillusioned with the field of podiatry because you have to understand when I finished, I was in New York, so there weren't that many positions open to people that looked like me. So, a lot of them were open to people who already had a parent who was in the the field and therefore those positions were passed down to them. So, you had to fight in order to at least be recognized or shine a little bit. So, if you weren't at the top of your class, you probably weren't going to get noticed. And I've had, you know, people just say, hey, you're not going to make it, at least not in New York anyway. So, that that Mm -hmm. disillusioned me just a lot. And then, so I thought about just quitting. And then a friend of mine who actually graduated with me, she's a, she's a pediatric surgeon over in Pennsylvania. She, um, she said, no, I'm not going to let you give up. We went through too much, studied too hard. No, we're not doing this. So we did one final year residency with one of our mentors, uh, Dr. Emilia Goez. And I, I learned different things. We did um, a lot of trauma rotations. So I, I found that I actually liked limb salvaging. I liked cutting people, so to speak, <laughs> legally, of course. I like I liked the idea of, of putting things uh, back together or taking things off that didn't belong there or no longer viable, basically. So, I thought about surgery. I thought it was, it was a good field to go into because you can make a, a drastic difference in the outcome of someone's life. So, I wanted to start practicing in New York, but 9-11 happened. Ah. Uh. So, the, where I did my surgical residency was downtown Manhattan. The hospital is actually called NYU Downtown. Um, it was one of the most uh, sought-after um, surgical residency programs because of its location, number one. So, it's literally right there, ground zero. Uh. I, we could see planes actually crashing into the buildings. Our hospital, as well as another hospital down there, Gouverneur, we saw the majority of the traumas that wow. occurred from that tragedy. So, we volunteered. We were treating dogs and firemen, police officers. I mean, it was just chaos, trauma wow. everywhere, amputations, limb loss, all sorts of things. And I so... I didn't realize that. I didn't realize oh, yeah. That it, was, uh, it was a tough, tough time to... Um, and I, again, I was a resident and I was mm-hmm. literally graduating. I was done. So, the only thing I had to do was start applying Medicare number, license, you know, instead of going from the resident license to a regular license. So, all that stuff got frozen and nothing. Mm-hmm. New York 
shut down, the government shut down. Every application, everything, a piece of mail was being sprayed down for anthrax. It was nothing. Couldn't do anything. So I was stuck after graduation, <laughs> uh, after finishing up my residency and not knowing how I'm going to work and where I'm going to work. So I started Googling and started looking around and uh, found that Florida was one of the few states that had reciprocity, meaning whatever you accomplished in New York, they would recognize and all you had to do was just pay. You didn't have to take another exam. You didn't have to jump through hoops. It was just pay your money, here's your license, and that's it. Okay. So, I mean, you struck me as as a uh, almost a miracle worker on some of my patients. So I know that it's probably some of the experiences that you had in New York. But I had a, we had a patient, uh, you know, Doctor Singh and I, and we were just starting out and growing the practice. And we had a patient that had a wound, I think, for about a year. I, I won't say his name, but mm-hmm. I think you remember him. He had yeah, charcoal charcoal joint. He, he, I mean, heavy guy. So it was very hard to to get its weight off his foot. And you came along, and I think within three months, the wound was healed. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? Who are you? And <laughs> so from that point on, you know, because you were right next door to me in our marketing ploy, uh, <laughs> I would just send patients to Jude and he'd take care of the wounds or he'd come over to the office. So that really, really helped us in in the managed care world because, yeah. you know, our idea is to manage the whole patient right, and make sure that they don't go to the hospital, that they don't get expensive drugs and medications and, and expensive surgeries that they, that may not work. So Correct. what ha- had been your managed care experience prior to joining us and how has it been since then? Okay. So that's easy. My, uh, Prior managed care experience was zilch, zero, nothing. Never even heard of the word. I had no idea what that was at all. I knew Medicare, Medicaid, and, you know, some things in between. And that's it. So I was completely taken aback by this whole managed care system. And it took a while for me to actually understand it. So Dr. Singh, through some exhaustive late night (laughs) sessions, Try to drill it into my head how the system is supposed to work. And then, of course, you hear a lot of stories from other outside doctors and colleagues of mine as well. And everyone hated managed care because, oh, you don't get paid. They expect you to work like a dog and they pay you pennies on the dollar. And so I was starting to become a little jaded and like, oh, God, this is probably not the best thing for me. So... Mm -hmm. Being part of a group like Access Healthcare started to um, open up my eyes and give me a new perspective on how patients should be treated. So, I know I've heard this before and this is from school, from podiatry school where they tell you, you know, you need to understand that a patient's feet don't walk in by themselves. They're they're attached to a body. So, you have to be mindful of the fact that that person has issues, systemic issues that may contribute to their foot problems. And so, you have to be a doctor. You're not a pedicurist. You're not a nail technician. You're you're a physician and you need to treat the patients accordingly. So, mm-hmm. my approach then became like that. I basically started asking more questions. I started looking at the patient as a whole and therefore, I was able to coordinate the care with my colleagues such as yourself in order to, you know, attain 
reasonable and desirable goals and as far as wound care. So I, I fell in love with wound care early on and I loved it. I have to thank Dr. Trainer who who had a huge impact on my life. She was a a PhD, an RN with a PhD in, in wound care. I remember everyone hated going to wound care clinic because it smelled so bad. And it was so much work having to put on those Una boots every week. Ugh, horrible. But man, I, I thrived on that and I loved it. So I made up my mind. I, I didn't even bother doing... Um, I, I was board eligible for surgery. I decided to take my boards in limb salvaging and diabetic um, foot ulcers management instead. So now I'm a wound care board certified podiatric physician who also does surgery. <laughs> so in that capacity, I'm able to do a lot of things that your traditional wound care specialist can't, which is not just manage the wound, but I can also manage the underlying osseous issues that are causing the wounds. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if someone has a metatarsal that's just too pronounced or prominent, I can alleviate that problem by doing sur certain surgical procedures that can take care of that and as well as taking care of the wound forever rather than just put them in a pair of shoes. Yeah. So, you've niched out. You've niched out even the podiatry practice Absolutely. In, in, in terms of what you do. What are your other colleagues doing? Are they, because I know that, I mean, not everyone is doing this. Right. How are the colleagues managing their practices? I know some are going to nursing homes, assisted mm -hmm. livings. Mm -hmm. How do they land these these jobs and these positions? How do they practice? So I noticed a lot of the podiatrists in this, or in our area specifically. So the majority of them, they did a lot of nursing homes, which I also did in the beginning as well. Because again, it's one of those like, oh, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. So I did it. Mm -hmm. Until I was like, no, there's, there's ha there has to be a better way. So I, I that's when I decided to niche out. Again, with um, Dr. Singh's help, it was it was kind of easy to say, hey, you know, pick out what you think you're good at and then just do that. Mm -hmm. Other guys, I noticed they do a lot of primary care stuff. Like they'll hire podiatric assistants, which is someone that they train to do a lot of the basic functions like nail care, callus care, and things of that nature. So you have five or six of those girls like or guys working on the patient and you're able to, I guess – it's kind of like networking. You have five or six people doing the work and then you just go in and you provide a certain amount of care, but they're working under you. So, that's how they're able to do some of the things that they do. Otherwise, it's impossible to make a good living because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a numbers name. It's a numbers game. Yeah. So, and it's mostly fee-for-service, right? Yes. Yeah, mostly fee-for-service. So, but I also heard you speak about contracts and some right. HMOs or some managed care organizations will give podiatry groups contracts. Right. Are they capitated contracts or are they fee-for-service contracts as well? So, now, there are certain podiatry groups who, who have been here for in existence for quite some time in the Tampa Bay area and they're able to form what you call an IPA and okay. therefore compete for some of the capitated contracts that some of the managed care plans had to offer. Now, again, business savvy, that's fine because it serves your group. You go in, you, you lowball basically. You, you offer the best price you think the insurance company is going to allow and then they give you the contract and you it's a numbers game. Again, you're like, okay, I'm going to be the only group to see all of these members. Therefore, it's going to be fine. Now, when the managed care plans grow – 
And therefore, you're, you don't have a presence in this county and the, the managed care plan's there. Then you subcontract with another podiatrist like myself, for instance. You give them a fee-for-service gotcha. contract. They're, you're able to – so that they can see the patient – but basically underneath your capital contract. So you send in a claim and they'll pay you based on the contract that you sign with them. And that contract's usually for a set amount based on a certain amount of codes that they allow, which is actually a really good system because it definitely cuts out a lot of the menial nonsense that you have to deal with with a traditional Medicare plan, which is modifiers and And different codes. codes. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? When you have a managed care plan, it's so much easier because you have X amount of codes, this is how much you get paid, boom, it's very easy. You submit your claim, you get paid. That's it. So what Judith's talking about is really something that I've been trying to hone in on the Money Tree series that I started a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he's describing IPA contracting. So if you take a look at the Money Tree series, there's a couple of series already out there. I invite you, the listeners, to actually re-listen to those episodes, especially the one about the IPA and the MSOs, because that will kind of help you understand what we're talking about here in that Money Tree series. So so I, that, was a, that was a plug to another series. Absolutely. Episode, so. <laughs> And it all ties in. It all ties in. And that's what we're trying to do here to help physicians understand this stuff because we're definitely not taught this stuff in in medical school or residency. No, not at all. Never even heard of it, honestly. Yeah. So so one thing I want to touch on is, is, you know, as you grew, you got busier Mm -hmm. and uh, you invited your sister to be part of your practice. How was that? (laughs) Yeah, that that was interesting. So as we grew... And it got to a point where, again, being part of a group such as Access allowed me to get very busy very quickly because I had a tremendous amount of support from my colleagues um, as far as referrals are concerned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It didn't hurt things that I was the only podiatrist in the group. So, it was kind of easy. Oh, wow. You have a foot problem? Boom. Instead of taking care of it myself now, we have someone who can do it for you. So, it was easy. So, I stayed very busy. We we tried hiring different podiatrists for and over time, and things just never actually worked out because again, it, it's sad to say, but you know when you go to med school, podiatry school, dental school, chiropractic school, you're just not taught the business of it. So a lot of them came in with unrealistic expectations. They thought things were the exact same as when they were in in residency. Not a clue as to how it is to manage a practice, let alone a managed care practice. It's just not that black and white. There are so many different variables that you have to take into account. It's not hard once you actually commit yourself to learning it. Once you learn the system, it's fairly easy. It literally Mm -hmm. runs by itself, but you have to understand it in order to do it. Needless to say, we went through a few, at least a couple, didn't work out. And um, at the time, I think uh, my sisters were in New York and they were getting a little tired of the politics and the hustle and bustle of New York City. Therefore, they were looking to uh, relocate. So, I told them, hey, listen, you know, we have a growing practice here. Why don't you bring your expertise down to, um, to Florida if you want to and we can see if it works. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
short. Five years in, she's still there. It's a work in progress. Working with family is never easy, but you you have to kind of find a way to do it. It's yeah. um it's definitely a lot more um, challenging than I'd expect before, but um it, it's still there. You know, you, there's there are pros and cons. I mean, the, yeah, the yeah. pros are good in the fact that you can actually pull her aside and say, "Hey, listen." this is not working or you need to do something different because you can't do that with someone who's not related to you because that person will take offense quickly yeah, as far yeah. as like, whoa, you're trying to tell me how to practice. No, but if it's coming from a sibling, it's a little bit easier to swallow. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you've got a big heart. I, <laughs> you got yeah, a big heart. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could say that. <laughs> so what would you tell the younger version of you now that you've done this for 20, 20 plus years? about practicing podiatry or even practicing medicine? What would you tell them that you would have done differently? Oh, wow. There's so many things I would tell my younger self. Let me see. The first thing I would tell my younger self is probably don't do it. Don't go to med school. <laughs> don't Be say that. Don't say Become that. a DJ. <laughs> you can make more money in less time. Um, <laughs> but if you absolutely have to do it, I'd say... Because you want to do it. Because that's because what I say. Because you want to do it. Because you have the heart I would to do say... It. You need to learn everything, not just the stuff they teach you in school, but you also need to learn the business of it. You need to actually know how to run a business because at the end of the day, yes, we're taking care of patients, but it's still a business. And if you don't have a, you don't have that type of mentality, you're you're not going to make it for very long. You're gonna burn out quickly because yeah. you have yeah. to learn how to work smart not just hard. Work, yeah. Working hard is absolute because that's going to happen regardless. But you also have to learn how to work smart. That's great advice. That's uh, great advice. And that's what we're trying to teach in the Practice Impossible podcast. Uh, so how do we reach you if uh, someone wanted to, to talk more about you, just uh, or if there's a podiatrist that is looking to join the, the community? Oh, absolutely. Uh, how can we just reach you? email me. Um, okay. I'm extremely accessible. I'm very easygoing. I I love to teach, especially after learning so much over the past 20 years from on a number of people. I mean, some of the stuff that I've learned, I know for sure that no one's teaching that. As a matter of fact, we have podiatry residents at Oak Hill now. And mm -hmm. uh, when I round with them, it, it's tough to kind of see that things have changed to some degree. Because I remember when we were talking about previously about the different types of podiatry residencies that they had, and therefore that would honestly give you a podiatrist versus a podiatric surgeon. Now, podiatry in its, you know, the wisdom decided that makes no sense. It's about time. So now they decided to make it a three-year residency for podiatry, period. And it includes surgery. So everyone who comes out is literally a podiatric surgeon. surgeon. So okay. it, there's no different sets of podiatrists because it, it became too difficult in hospitals because you have podiatrists on call and uh, something comes into the ER and you call that podiatrist. He's like, oh, I don't do that. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. So now yeah. everyone's trained the exact same way, which is thank you, God, that someone did that. So, but talking to the residents, it's you can still see where there's a, a huge lack of teaching. They, 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 they're not learning or they're not being taught rather the things that they really do need to, to learn. So yeah. I find myself teaching them those things, like little things, like 
uh, how to like carefully dissect, you know, a chart and how to see the patient in, in a different way, how to manage a patient in different way. You don't just go and start ordering pre-albumin levels in every patient because that's an expensive test that's unnecessary. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You need to learn not to order an MRI on every single person who has a wound. It's yeah. completely yeah. unnecessary. So things like that, you know, you have to, sad to say, but you have to kind of unteach them what they learned. <laughs> so it's a it's a challenge, but I'm up for it. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. we're we're all up for it. That's why we're that's why we're here. And oh, that, yeah, that's that's why we're doing what yeah, we're doing. Yeah, so I wish I, there was someone like us back then. You know, well, there were. On. It's just you know they're in pockets. They're in pockets. <laughs> we got to make it so that it's everywhere, and that's it what we be. need to. We we all need right. to do, and that's what that, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I for hope sure. so. I hope so. We're going to do it. All right. This so thank you so much for the conversation, and uh, it's been great. And uh, now we've got it memorialized. I, that's I, I all think right. that's a term. I mean, this is <laughs> going to be around for our kids to listen to, for Nemo to listen to. I so. love it. I love it. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Thank, thank you again. Ah, you're welcome. All right, bye. All right, bye.